Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Ian Campbell is an avid historian with a love for all things aquatic. When he's not out scuba diving looking for treasure, he's in the classroom helping kids understand the wonders of the underwater world. Ian is a passionate scholar of the past and an educator of future generations. And Ian is with me today. How are you going, Ian? I'm fantastic and improving. Why scuba diving, Ian? What's it about scuba diving that you love? I just love the sense of freedom and the sense of adventure. And I always like just going into the unknown. And it's a very spiritual experience for me too, because you can't get more spiritual than in the earth. And when you're in under the water, you're in the earth. What kind of interesting things do you find there? Like what kind of conversation do you have with friends of yours who don't dive or who've never dived? Um, a lot of them are in fear. A lot of them are scared to go in the water and a lot of them are scared of sharks. You know, I understand people's fear about going into the water, but once you face your fears, you find you have nothing to fear in the first place. And the people who actually take that road and take that adventure, they just go in leaps and bounds. Nothing's a problem to them after that. Were you afraid on your first dive? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Why not? What, what, what was your first dive? Do you remember it? Yeah, I do. It was in a swimming pool at um, Sydney University. And then the first ocean dive was Bass and Flinders Point just off Cronulla in Port Hacking. I got bored a little bit because it was on the sand and I was just nailing all my skills. I was only like 15 at the time and I've got it still logged in my book and I look back on it and go, oh, look at all those years ago I did that dive. Isn't it interesting when we talk about science and we talk about scuba diving, it's an unlikely partnership. Scuba divers log every dive. Like we keep information from all the dives and sometimes we even log the animals that we see down there or the you know, what happened on that dive, you know, what, what is it? So you have all your logs right from the beginning, is it? I tried to log a lot of them. And the reason I do that is in the beginning, like I wanted to know what fish this was and I wanted to know what seaweed this was. And I wanted to know what type of rock that was. And I wanted to know everything. So I would pick four things underwater. I'd say, I know I'd remember them in my head. And back in those days, there was no computers. So you'd have to search down the books and then you get the books and then you buy the books and then you look through the books. So I used to go to dive sites with like maybe six or seven books and get out of the water and immediately start looking through the books at the different fish or the different uh, kelp or the different rock formations just to work out, you know, what I'd been looking at. And then I'd record them down and then after I'd learned those four, I'd pick another four. And I just used to build up my knowledge bank like that. We spoke before and I said to you, are you a historian? And you were saying, oh, I'm not a historian, but you seem to be very interested in, you know, facts and places. And I find that very interesting. So was, was diving part of the start of you being curious about the natural world? No, I actually can remember at school, my history teacher confiscated my books because when he would say something, I go, no, nah, that's not right. And he'd go, well, how do you know? And I'd pull out my textbook and, and I'd show him and he'd go, I'll have that book. <laughs> oh, you, you weren't showing the teacher. Right? Yeah, I was challenging the teachers just like, nah, you haven't got those facts right. This is, this is what really happened. 
And they, yeah, they didn't like that. And I was the only, I can remember being 10, 11, 12. And, and I'm not a very good reader. I'm dyslexic. But I just had this passion of just wanting to know what happened in history and and just what's on around me and just researching it and then question your own beliefs as well because you hear something and then you go, oh, yeah, that must be true. And then you find out later you were totally wrong. So it's it's all right to be totally wrong. Just, you know, just got to take that first step of wanting to know. Well, I'm always concerned when people seem to know exactly the correct answer, you know, <laughs> like you do a lot of your diving. Is it around the Swansea area or have you dived in Australia or just around the world? Well, where was one of the most spectacular places where you dived? Probably Scapa Flow in Scotland. Really? Yeah, you go up to the top of Scotland and you keep on going and then you go up there and then there's a little island called Orkney Islands and off Orkney Islands, that's where the Germans sunk the um, or scuttled the First World War fleet. And um, yeah, I went up there and had a dive on, on the wrecks up there and fascinating history up there. Just the whole Orkney Islands was fascinating. And then to dive on the wrecks out there it was fascinating as well. And then um, on the New South Wales coast, I've yeah, dived all up and down the New South Wales coast. I'd love to do more in Queensland, um, but I'm based here in New South Wales. So every weekend, there's people say to me, what are you doing? I go, that's not the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, what's the tide time? Because I just base my whole life around the tide. You have had a recent obsession, is it? with some things that you've been finding in the sand in a particular location around the Swansea stroke, uh, Newcastle area. Am I correct? That's correct. And it's because of my son, my son's obsessed with bottles and finding old bottles. He got me hooked onto it. Like he said, dad, dad, look at this bottle and look at that bottle. And I went, all right, then let's, let's find, let's find the spots where, you know, these bottles would be so then that took me on a trip of you know history of looking at photos and looking at videos and and there's really interesting history around that i already knew um at belmont there there's tank traps from the second world war so a lot of people are driving over it every day um, lake macquarie was the biggest um, air base for the catalina airboats during the second world war and they did all their training on lake macquarie so there's there's four um, airplanes that i know that are sunk in lake macquarie as well so there's there's fascinating history so yeah i've been looking with bottles with him and we've been finding some really quite um, interesting bottles around the Swansea and, and Lake Macquarie area. What kind of bottles? Now, are we talking about it's glass, right? Because the glass is going to last. Glass and clay, like the old ginger beer bottles. So they were made in, in Sydney by Fowler, a lot of them. And probably the best one that we've found to date was a, a George Bell. So George Bell, it's sort of like he was a Wyong ginger beer manufacturer. And um, yeah, that was a pretty rare bottle to find. So we were he, we were stoked because I do all that type of diving with my son. Um, yeah, so we've been finding some really interesting uh, bottles around the place and other things as well. Like what? 
we've been finding a lot of mobile phones underwater. We find a lot of anchors underwater. Uh, we've actually found a, a toy gun that we actually thought was a, a gun. Like we both just looked at each other underwater like, oh, my God, is that a pistol? And then um, and it was heavy as well. And then when we got it out of the water and cleaned it up, we realized it was a toy gun. So that that was, you know, fascinating to realize that back in the day that the the toy guns looked like real guns. Found old cars under there. We found boats. We found boats under there. We found boat motors. We found a lot of fishing rods, tools, bits of scaffolding that have, some of it we do take home. Signs, yeah, we found a big sign, you know, which was interesting. Yeah, we just keep on looking. What about animals? Obviously, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, sharks or dangerous animals in the water. Gee, turtles, seen a lot of turtles, eagle rays, um, stingrays, spotted rays, come across sharks as well. I've never come across any of the, like the, what you call the, you know, the big ones like bull sharks and great whites or anything like that. And that's the funny thing in like, I've been diving nearly 35 years now and I just figure when you're under there, you just appreciate the beauty and don't worry about the sharks because, you know, if something's going to get you, you're not going to see it. So you might as well just enjoy the, the ride. He has seen the other day a numray. Explain that because that's an interesting animal, right? It's like a stingray, but it sits underneath the sand and it gives you an electric shock. I've only touched one once and I they have like these little black things that hang out of the sand to attract the fish. And I thought, oh, look at that. And I touched it and the voltage went in one finger and went right through my body and came out my other finger on the other hand. Really? Yeah. On Saturday, I actually touched one by accident and I thought, oh, that's a bit soft, the sand. And um, I, I waved the sand away and there's a numb white ray and it didn't sting me. So, or I should say shock me. So I was pretty happy about that. Around the Swansea area, you get a lot of tropical fish as well. And sharks and wobbygongs. I've had a few experiences with wobbygongs. But yeah, nothing really dangerous. I've never felt fear. I just see, like if you see a grey nurse coming at you or a wobbygong coming at you, you just go, wow, look at that. That's beautiful. And just stay nice and calm and it swims past. Uh, dolphins. There was dolphins in the channel. Um, a guy tapped me on the shoulder and told me to look to the right of me. And about... oh. 50 centimetres away, there was a dolphin just looking right at me in, in the eye. I could have touched him. And um, they're quite intimidating when they're that close because they're really a big creature. <laughs> Seen seals in, in around Swansea and places like that as well in the lake. What about the history of the places where you dive? Some of these places are really ancient. When we went on a dive last weekend, under the water, the topology of the boulders and like the little swim throughs and that, it's just amazing. It's, it, it feels really old. And you showed me down some fossils, there were some trees there. It is, these are old places, right? They've been dated back 250 million years old. Yeah, you got the old fossil trees as you're going through and um, many years ago there was a guy who used to go looking for wrecks and I got talking to him and up around the Nelson Bay area um, we reckon there was places underneath there where um, the water had risen so you know maybe nine ten 
20,000 years ago, the water was a, you know, a, a lot lower and there's uh, Aboriginal artifacts under there. So there's still a lot that we don't know, you know, on a ruler, you know, you measure it a meter. We probably only still know 10 centimeters. We've still got 90 centimeters to discover. So it's like underwater exploration and underwater archeology, span is it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Is that what fascinates you? Yes. Yeah, that, they fascinate me. Having a look at rock formations underneath the water and thinking, how the hell did these rocks form here? Um, and then when you start to look at the like the geology of um just the coastline it's it's fascinating and different places where um even in the swansea channel um if you go to certain spots there's oyster beds that are at least five to ten thousand years old so you look at the oyster shells and you go oh they're just oyster shells but when you really look at the oyster shells they're actually five, 10,000 year old um, shells. And when the sand goes over the top of them, they might be lost for a hundred or 200 years until the sand moves again and then they reappear. So things are always appearing and disappearing. So, um, and it's like the old bridge underneath Swansea. There's, you know, two old bridges that are under there and you might see them and then you go back the next week and they're not there. So things are, you know, you just got to be lucky on the day. You can go to the same spot um, two or three times and, and discover something new every single time. That's if you have your mind open to the possibilities. It's just not a piece of wood or it's not just a chunk, chunk of metal or it's just not a rock. There's actually some sort of history behind it if you look back at it. Do you see much evidence of... For example, pollution under the water. Oh, yeah, especially after Christmas holidays. We, we call it terrorist season. So there's a season of terrorists. They come up and they, they fish like crazy and they just leave their rubbish everywhere. So they just come out of big city locations. They're out of home, throw bait packets. And, you know, the reality is it only takes three pieces of plastic to kill a turtle you know a few pieces of plastic to kill a whale really all this marine creatures are dying because of all the plastic in the ocean that's the the biggest issue that we have at the moment is is plastic in the ocean like we're going down there and picking bottles up that have been down there for a hundred years they haven't heard anything and sometimes they're actually homes for for animals old bottles and old pieces of metal and old rocks and things like that have been, have been thrown in there. Back in the old days, they used to, that was the tip, the solution to pollution was dilution. So they'd throw all the rubbish in, in the nearest waterway and then, you know, it would be gone or be, you know, in there for a little while until the next tide came along and took it away. And if you look at some of the um, pictures of India and Bangladesh and places like that, they just bring the truck right up to the river and, you know, 10 ton truck just throw all the rubbish in still to this day and that's what's killing our ocean and that's what's killing the creatures and the, the other thing that people don't realize that over the last oh, you know 80 years chemicals like ddt which are now banned are still floating around in the ocean and the plastics they break down into what they call microplastics so the microplastics actually get a, absorb the ddt and little things like um, krill down, you know, south in the Antarctic, they're eating the plastics which are laced with the DDT. And then the whales are eating 
the krill. And I was up at Byron Bay once and a whale washed up on the beach and they were cutting it up and putting it into biohazard bags to take to the tip to get rid of because the whale was too full of chemicals to put back into the ocean. And that's what makes me laugh. You know, sometimes when you see this, people are buying krill pills type of thing. And I just think to myself, "Eh, that's interesting. I wonder if that got tested, would it have any of the DDTs or the chemicals because the krill are eating the plastic in the food chain that's still floating around and the, and all the chemicals for the last 80 years are still floating around. You mentioned that sometimes the trash can become homes to creatures. And one of the things I noticed at Swansea is that there are two artificial reefs that were created there. And I found that fascinating when I went diving there. There's two shopping trolley reefs, right? Yeah, that's what we call them. We go, go down to the shopping trolley reef. And what do you find in these places? You would never take them up now. You'd leave them alone, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're habitat. So... I've gone down there and I've seen um, um, cuttlefish eggs and squid's eggs on, on the shopping trolley reef, pineapple fish and knife fish and things they call nudibranchs that are down there laying their eggs. You know, creatures are actually not only crawling at home, but they're, they're laying their eggs on it too. Now, I have a very important question for you. Who is Captain Crackers? Oh, Captain Crackers. He's my alto ego. So you better explain who Captain Crackers is. Captain Crackers is a character that was developed to teach kids about the marine environment and marine pollution. I've dealt with kids in schools a fair bit, and I realised by the time they get to about 13, 14, they really don't want to know you, and they've already developed their attitudes. So what I've done is I've developed a program to get kids from three-year-old all the way up to about 10 and Captain Crackers visits them in their school or daycare and he brings scuba gear in for them to try on and then he's got uh, whale's teeth and he's got um, turtle shells and he's got swords from swordsfish. So, you know, proper museum pieces and all the kids get to touch them and it's interactive and engaging. And then also um, I got a license to bring in marine creatures as well. So I bring in marine creatures and, and the kids get the opportunity to touch it because my philosophy is if you have a connection with the creatures, then you'll be more inclined to do the right thing by them. So I have a sword. Captain Cracker's got a sword and it's just one of those things with the claw thing on it. And, and that's his sword. That's a modern day pirate sword. And I encourage the kids to all want to be pirates to go out there and collect the plastic off the beaches or on the roads or, you know, even in their playground, don't let plastic into the environment. <laughs> he sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Captain Kraskitz. He's fantastic. He's got a war on plastic. You even got your tagline there. (laughs) I do this in towns all over New South Wales and I can go into the towns in sort of like, you know, Western New South Wales and the kids will all go, there's Captain Crackers. There's Captain Crackers. An outback celebrity. Yeah, there's the pirate. He's a pirate. Mum, he's a pirate. You know, like the parents are looking at me going, what? Who is he? 
he's Captain Kraken. <laughs> it's pretty, really interesting. Um, so what advice would you give people about how to protect the marine environment? Like, in general, what advice can you give people? In general, just be thoughtful about your um, plastic consumption. If you're going to go buy some Tupperware, don't buy Tupperware. Go buy the glass stuff. You know, you can throw glass into the ocean and it's going to last 100 years, 1,000 years. But if you throw a piece of plastic in there, it's going to get eaten and it's going to kill something. You just be really mindful. And then also, I see people watering the concrete, you know, cleaning their concrete. And it's going down the gutter and then that goes out into the ocean what you put on your garden as well chemicals you know if you're spraying chemicals on your garden it's going to go down the drain eventually and your cigarette butts anyone that's got cigarette butts for every one cigarette butt that hits the ground kills four fry fish so that i find that funny fishermen they sit there and they're smoking and then they flick their cigarette butt into the ocean and I just think to myself, you just killed four of the fish that you could caught next year. So, yeah, just be mindful where you're throwing your rubbish and throw it in your car and then put it away when you get home. Just keep your rubbish to yourself. Well, thanks, Ian, for taking some time to have a chat with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to um, going for another dive with you at some point. That sounds fantastic. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.